0: Christmas pageant stories are a dime a dozen. I myself stood in a different pulpit narrating a particular Christmas pageant years ago when one of the shepherds decided to turn his staff upside down in the middle of the drama and then press a button that didn't exist and ignite it like a lightsaber. And he made the sound effects from the chancel area. And were it not from a dive from that pulpit, he would have beheaded a few sheep, a wise man, and even the angel of God. There was another pageant when a kid dressed up as a donkey decided to take a nap on the chancel steps right in the middle of the pageant and remained there through the rest of the pageant and at the very end, when it offered the benediction, he said, Mom? Mom? There's a wonder and a beauty to the way that children can lead us in worship. Whether it's the theological answers that they can provide during a children's message, to the way they give themselves over completely, to the movements of the Spirit, they actually dance when we play and sing songs in church, to the various pageant pronouncements, somehow through children, the glory of the Lord is revealed. There's a story that passes around this time of year every year about a certain pageant and a child who had the role of the innkeeper, the innkeeper. For weeks and weeks, the children had practiced their lines and their movements. They knew exactly what they were supposed to do, where they were supposed to be. And then when Christmas Eve arrived, the little Mary and Joseph and plastic baby Jesus, they arrived at the cardboard cutout entrance to the inn. They knocked on the door and the innkeeper froze. The innkeeper, the little child, he just froze. Now, little Mary, she kept repeating her line, "'Please let us in. We're cold and we really need a place to stay.'" Please let us in, we're cold, we really need a place to stay. Please let us in, we're cold, we really need a place to stay. She got louder with each repetition, hoping the boy would remember his line. Until finally, the innkeeper looked out at the congregation to the pageant coordinator and said, I know I'm supposed to say no, but can I let him in anyway, please? (laughs) Kids get it. They get it. The psalmist declares, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name and all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. There's a better than good chance that every one of us here has at least a story, one story of a way in which a child or a kid spoke truth to us about who we are and whose we are, revealed something about the nature of God that we wouldn't have otherwise known on our own. We all have a story like that. This last week, I was with my family in Alexandria. We were celebrating the holidays and about a year ago uh, my grandmother died and so on the anniversary of her death we gathered all of the the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and we went to her grave we went to the cemetery to be with her on the anniversary of her death and of course we have to load all these kids up in the car and get the diaper bags and the car seats and all that sort of stuff and my little nephew he looked at me and he said where are we going Tay-Tay don't any of you start calling me (laughs) Tay-Tay he said where are we going Tay-Tay I said, we're going to see Omi. And he had this puzzled look on his face. And he said, but she's with Jesus now. And I said, you're right, buddy. Kids get it. They get it in a way we don't. And then the psalmist drops this on all of us adults. Adults. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings, O oh Lord, that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? What a brutal question from the psalmist. What are we in comparison to God? That's why I always say, God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. That God considers us at all is beyond our deserving. That God listens to our prayers is downright ridiculous. We tend to look at all that we've said and done with pride and glory, but compared to the work of God, we are smaller than ants. What are we that God is mindful of us? The God who called the universe into being out of nothing, who brought forth order out of chaos, who breathed life into creation, is probably not very impressed with the Lego set that I got for Christmas that I built in a couple hours. I don't think God is particularly impressed with the meal that I cooked for my family. I certainly don't think God is really impressed with a sermon I craft for Sunday. All things considered, there's nothing terribly special about humanity. We're a bunch of creatures who often just make a mockery of the creation that God gave to us. Sure, we can point to some of our achievements. We can, we can look at the things that we've done, except for the fact that some of the things, the worst things that have ever happened in human history were done in the name of progress. What makes us unique is not what we can or can't do, but the fact that God becomes us. It's important that God did not become a penguin. God became a human, a particular human in the person of Jesus Christ. And notably, God does not show up as a fully formed, rational, intellectual adult human being. God shows up as a baby. That is the wonder and the beauty of the Incarnation. It's so bewildering that people like us, we decorate trees, we exchange gifts, and we light candles year after year because God chooses to be us, chooses to be a baby. But the only reason we, that is Gentiles, even know about this enough to celebrate it is what we call Epiphany. It's the feast that marks the visit of the Magi, the expansion of the kingdom to those outside the people Israel. According to Matthew's Gospel, it's only in Matthew's Gospel, after Jesus' birth, wise men or Magi from the east, probably from pretty far away, a thousand miles away, they come to Jerusalem. They're looking for the king of the Jews because they've seen a rising star and they want to pay the king homage. There's this frightening plot by King Herod to put an end to any threat to his power. He, he orders all of the children to be murdered in Bethlehem. That's a fun story to read after Christmas. But the Magi, they make haste to Bethlehem where they discover the star has stopped. And it leads them to the place where baby Jesus was born. That's why we have these Magi in our manger scenes. It's the Feast of the Epiphany. Now, we, we, all, we sing about this. We were just singing about this. They bring gifts to the baby. They bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. We, we hear this and we sing about it. It's, it's an interesting moment in the gospel when these three magi, these three wise men come. It would be enough to bring presents to a king. It's stranger still to give those gifts to a baby born to a poor Jewish woman and her soon-to-be husband. But then scripture says something very important. That when the Magi saw the baby lying in the manger, they knelt to the ground and they worshiped him. They worshiped him. Scripture says they were overwhelmed with joy. Now, Epiphany is the celebration of that moment. We mark it on our liturgical calendars because it points both to the, the wild nature of the incarnation, that God is a baby, but also to the ways in which the glory of Jesus' birth is stretching beyond the confines of Israel. You know, Jesus, Jesus will certainly talk about and act how, how much the kingdom is expanding. He, he goes to talk to Samaritans. He interacts with people, those outside of Israel. But this is the radical beginning of the expansion of the kingdom. Now, Jesus comes for a lot of reasons. Jesus comes to, to save us, to show us how the kingdom works, to reveal the nature of God. But one of the things we overlook often is that Jesus also helps us to see what it means to be fully human. Now, that's a strange claim to make. You might expect that, I would say, something like Jesus comes to make us better Christians or fuller Christians. But Jesus also comes to make us human Herbert McCabe is this theologian. He says, We can only be human as, fully human as we are incorporated into the fullness of humanity. That is Jesus. Jesus, McCabe argues, was the first real human for whom to live was simply to love. That is what human beings are for. We are here to love. Which means that the kingdom of God isn't just for certain sets of people in particular places. The kingdom of God is for you. It's for everyone. When we say that Jesus was fully human and fully divine, we mean that the fullness of humanity and the fullness of God was in him. If we want to know what it means to be human, we need not look further than Jesus Christ, for his life was love. Maybe that's why the Magi fell to the ground and worshipped the baby. Not because they intellectually understood the proclamation of the incarnation, not because they rationally deduced the momentous moment in front of them, but because they encountered love, true love in the flesh, a true, full human baby. The presence of the magi in the manger, it means that the love that is God is for people even like you, people even like me, people even like Fred and Charlie, and Hazel. The Magi in the manger, it means that the kingdom is for all of us. And whenever we encounter that total radical love, whether it's here in church, or at work, or at school, or around our dinner tables, whenever we encounter that kind of love, we can't help but worship. Because it is nothing short of amazing that the author of the cosmos loves us and gets as close to us as when we hold a baby in our arms that God gets as close to us as the bread and the cup that is at this table in front of us. An important theological claim is that God is God and we are not. It's important to remember, to keep things squarely where they are supposed to be. What are human beings? That God is mindful of us. And yet, in the incarnation, everything takes on a strange and wondrous dimension. Because even though God is God and we are not, God willingly chooses to become us. That we might discover who we are, whose we are, what it means to be human, and what it means to love and be loved. Which is why the psalmist begins the psalm and ends the psalm with these words. "O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. So, I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.